Hey, it's old-timey crimey. Do you like true crime? Do you like history? Do you think murder's just better in black and white? Come join us on Old-Timey Crimey, where every week we sit down and talk about a crime history forgot. Or maybe a crime that history can't get enough of. From the classics, like Jack the Ripper, to the crimes you may never have heard of, like the Tottenham Outrage. We dig deep into the archives to give you the details you won't get anywhere else. And we'll probably use some filthy words in the process. Because the good old days... Weren't always so good. New episodes every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's old, timey, crimey. Podcast, a podcast where we chat true crime, conspiracy theories, folklore, paranormal, and to be honest, just a weird casserole dish full of just the weirdest shit you can imagine. Uh, I'm Alex. And Christy. And this week we are talking true crime. We're going back down under for a very interesting, devastating, and all-around confusing uh, missing persons case. But before we dive into that, just a little bit of housekeeping. So thank you to everyone who has entered in our Instagram giveaway. Uh, we really appreciate all the reviews that were left. We appreciate all the interactions. And hopefully sometime later this year, mid this year, who who knows, honestly, uh, we will have another one. Who knows? Maybe we'll do another Amazon gift card. Maybe we won't give Jeff Bezos our money. We'll see how we feel at the time. We give what we want. We will give you what you, we want to give you because that is boundaries am i right agreed so the other uh, little bit of housekeeping is patreon our episode also comes out today like our very first patreon exclusive um and once again we have two tiers on patreon we have a two dollar a month and five dollar a month both have access to one bonus episode a month which comes out at the last sunday of the month so this month's episode is about our little trip to the Beck House in Penetang, which was interesting. To say the least. To say the least. To say the least. So, Christy, what is your need for distraction today? Uh, my need for distraction today is we are still in lockdown, sadly. I'm slowly going a little bit crazy, as usual. Had a couple days off, almost to the point where, like, I needed to go back to work which is concerning because I feel like all I do is work. So I'm like, why do I want to go back? But I just don't know how to spend me time by myself with me and my cat because I live alone, so I can't go see anybody. I need social interaction. That's what's making me go crazy. So I, that's my distraction today. Fair enough. I am so fucking sick of this lockdown as well. I mean, it's kind of a plus because I do live with someone, but when that someone is the only person you see on a regular basis, I'm not saying murder on my mind. I'm just saying it would be nice to mix it up a little bit, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's my part. I'm like, I have no one to talk to. And you're like, I have only the same person to talk to over and over. Both are equal. <laughs> exactly. Both are just, ugh. and we hope everyone that is in lockdown, um, wherever you are, whether you're in Ontario, like us, whether you are in a different province, a different country, we hope you're doing okay. Because obviously, this is not a great time for people just all around, uh, especially 
those who are also struggling with their mental health on top of that. Speaking from someone who works in mental health, I know it's not a great time. So hopefully everyone's taking care of themselves, practicing some self-care, you know, do what you got to do to get through. And hey, if we are part of that, we're grateful and we hope that we provide a distraction from the chaos that still is 2020 part two. We hope our murderous stories keep you busy from thinking about anything else. (laughs) Hopefully the, the murder we talk about Without further ado, let's talk true crime, shall we? Hit me. Today we are talking about the disappearance of Cheryl Grimmer. Once again, this is from Down Under, aka Australia. The Aussies. The Aussies. We we love a good Aussie. Uh, we're probably losing all of our Australian listeners at this point because of my butchering of the Australian accent. Sorry. <laughs> I blame you. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, born to parents Carol and Vince sometime in 1966, Cheryl Jean Grimmer would be the youngest of four children. Cheryl had three brothers, Ricky, who was the eldest, followed by Stephen and Paul. The family originally were from Knoll, England, however, immigrated to Australia in the spring of 1986. I'm going to speculate the move was because Vince would work as a combat engineer within the frontline infantry for the Australian Army during the move. Either during, after, prior to the move. I'm not really sure the nitty-gritty details, but either way, he worked for the Australian Army, which sounds cool. Kudos. So the family lived at the Fairy Meadow Migrant Hostel within the suburb of Wollongong, which, apologies, I feel like I butchered that, but I tried. It's fair. (laughs) It's fair. Uh, Which, Wollongong is a city in New South Wales. The hostel was not far from a beach, and I can imagine that was kind of like a very common family outing for them to take the kids down to the beach, hang out there for a couple hours, kill off some energy. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, surrounded by complete water everywhere. It's like the beach is the thing to do. I also did watch Bondi Rescue, and that seemed to be the thing to do for everybody. <laughs> what were you watching? Bondi Rescue. Have you never watched that? No, what is it? Oh, it's like a lifeguard show with really good-looking people, Aussie and guys that just go like save people from that are drowning stupidly that don't understand the ocean. Nice. It was, it was comedic. You should watch it. It's on Netflix, I think, still. Hmm. So the family decided to go to the beach, actually, on January 12th, 1970. So a.k.a. my birthday, but in 1970 instead of 1994. So just a Before random my time. Before my time. Carol took the kids to the beach while Vince was working. Picture a perfect beach day. Carol probably watching the kids swim and play in the sand. Just picture a really nice day at the beach with your family. Or friends. Or just in general. Because I feel like we need to be there. Supposedly at around 1.30pm, the weather started to turn sour. So Carol told the kids kind of, you know, alright, get out of the water, it's time to pack it in. As Carol packed in towels, toys, and more, Ricky, Stephen, Paul, and Cheryl went to a shower station nearby. Seven-year-old Ricky came back to Carol saying that Cheryl was refusing to get out of the shower. Probably not wanting to end her beach day and maybe even possibly having a temper tantrum. Who knows? But also totally understandable. I'm not certain as to why exactly she didn't want to leave, but that's me speculating. Fair. I wouldn't want to leave the beach right now either. No, same. However, when Carol and Ricky got to the shower station, uh, Cheryl wasn't there. She had completely vanished. She was no longer anywhere in sight. So in a panic, and remember this was in the time of cell phones, Carol went to a house nearby to call police, which 
good on Carol. It's been documented that eyewitnesses saw Cheryl being picked up to drink at a water fountain by an unknown man who apparently ran off with her as she was wrapped up in a in the towel. However, we later find out that that was actually her brother Ricky, who was helping his sister drink from the water fountain and not an unknown man. And this happened before she went to the shower. So remember, she went into the shower to kind of wash probably the sand off and everything. Mm-hmm. For one of her brothers, told Cheryl it was time to go. And she was like, no, I'm going, like, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Ricky went to then get Carol. Came back, she's gone. But yet, eyewitness claims that, oh yeah, like, she was with this man, this, that, and the other, but it was her brother. Mm, this is why witness statements aren't always the best, because they're exactly. useful. Exactly. So other eyewitnesses claim, uh, claims state that she was seen leaving the beach in a white car, however, no further detailed information has been provided. And it didn't really seem to go anywhere. Just as things were becoming weirder, A ransom note was delivered to New South Wales police demanding $10,000, further noting that Cheryl was, quote, unharmed. Mm -hmm. That all my life was worth was 10 grand, she would say. Yeah, right? Well, mind you, it was like, it was the 70s. So 10 grand was, I mean. It's a lot, but still, it's only 10 grand. It's only 10 grand. In retrospect, like, okay. So this note stated that they wanted the money dropped off in Bewley, which is about 12 minutes away from Fairy Meadow. Police thought this note would be kind of the the end all to this insane situation. And even went as far as thinking, okay, this is a credible note. Like, this is a lead. Like, hey, we're going to work on this. However, the kidnapper never showed up as documented. So after the no-show, police assumed that this was just a practical joke. A very, very sick practical joke. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Like, how fucked? How fucked do you have to be to send police a ransom note? Like, some people's children. Some people shouldn't reproduce. Anyways. So, police originally put up a $5,000 reward, hoping to entice the public to come forward with any information. Now we're going to take a big old jump from 1970 to 2011. Uh, A coroner formally ruled that they believe Cheryl had died shortly after going missing, further recommending that police reopen the investigation. Cheryl's mother, Carol, still believed in her heart that Cheryl was alive. Unfortunately, both Carol and Vince would pass away before knowing what would happen to Cheryl. So, in 2011? Yeah, I think the they parents... They reopened the case or, like, someone found a body? They reopened the case and the coroner at that point just, just, I think, had moved her... Like, had changed that she was officially dead. Like, you know how sometimes with cold cases, after so... Like, cold cold missing persons cases, after so long... They just say they're dead, that's it. Like, they're gone. Yeah. Mm, okay. Like, do you remember in Celine's case about that guy from, I think it was either Toronto or London from our crossover episode with her? Like, he went missing after going to the Grand Theater. Mm, and, London, yeah. and after a while, they're just like, okay, well, obviously he's dead. Mm. So I think at that point in 2011, the coroner was like, you know what? The likelihood of her survival is diminishing each year from 1970. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like 40 years later. So. so, and unfortunately, both Carol and Vince would pass away before knowing what exactly happened, which is just gut-wrenching. Heartbreaking. Like, you like dying not knowing whatever happened to your kid. Exactly. The family had moved shortly after Cheryl's disappearance to Papua New Guinea and then back to England. According to one of the articles I read... Police then upped the reward to $100,000 for any information regarding the disappearance of Cheryl. 
In addition, the Wollongong detectives and the Homicide Squad Unresolved Homicide Team created a new task force called the Strike Force Wessel. Um, I don't know what specifically the task force has done. However, I do know that sometime in 2016, the evidence from the case was apparently uploaded onto, onto a computer for what I think is the first time since Cheryl went missing, which seems a bit delayed in my opinion, but it could have been uploaded because of the task force and... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit on police constantly, but I'm just I don't really understand the delay other than I do understand that there's missing persons cases every fucking day, I'm assuming. So I'm oh, not probably like so many to keep up with. It's ridiculous, yeah. So, like, fair enough. But I in you know, it took some time for all of this to get online, which mm-hmm. and yeah. my question, so they up that reward to a hundred grand. Is the police paying for that? Who's paying for that? I think the I was I would assume the attorney general. The, yeah, I would say like like I'm gonna say the family or like whatever's left of the family is upping that price to that. Like, that's yeah, I think when it comes to and I could be wrong. Um, I think when it comes to missing persons, usually it is either the attorney general's office or the prosecution's office or the police. Like I think there's multiple funders to that, but I'm not really sure. Exactly. So I broke down a couple of different perspectives as to what happened to Cheryl that I've seen online, some from police and some kind of from the public. So the first theory was that or is that Cheryl was hiding and had fallen asleep, uh, waking up and then potentially, you know, ran away, tried to find her way home. It's this one's. She fell asleep where? So this is. At the showers where everyone was? Yeah. So this theory was determined by police at the beginning of the investigation, assuming perhaps that she maybe didn't want to leave the beach and went to hide somewhere so that she mm-hmm. could stay longer. Okay. After not being found by her family, Cheryl could have potentially fallen asleep, as we know how tiresome it can be after a long day of the beach. One thought is that maybe after she woke up, she wandered off and was either picked up by somebody who didn't realize she was missing or didn't seem to care, or unfortunately maybe she passed away after not being able to survive on her own because she was only three years old at the time. But I feel like anybody would see like a little three-year-old and just not ignore them. Like, I don't understand that. Whether you got lost or someone picked you up, like someone would report you if they saw you or if they see the three-year-old sleep on the beach by themselves, but like it was this person's parents. Like yeah. someone would be concerned, you'd think. Yeah. Also, I apologize. She's actually, she was, I think she was around four years old when she went missing. She's still young, no matter what. Yeah. Yes. She's still under the age of being able to fend for herself if she got lost. Yeah. Too young to still not be noticed. Yeah. So I find this theory the weakest in the sense that because there was such a heavy investigation right off the bat, if she had just fallen asleep somewhere and wandered off or potentially was seen by someone in public, I'm sure someone would have said something. Right. It's one. It, it falls back onto if someone knows something, they would have said something. It was a highly, from what I've read, it was highly publicized. You know. Yeah, that too. Like not alone, just like this four year, three year old, whatever, walking around that day. It's now it's all over the news everywhere. There's a reward. Like you would think something would come up. Exactly. This is where you could potentially argue that though, um, because maybe someone did see something and doesn't want to come forward because of whatever reason. I I don't know what that reason could be. That's open up. Yep, that's open to speculation. But at the end of the day, I don't think this is the most likely cause, but it's one that I saw. Mm -hmm. Out of all the theories out there. Oh, yes. So the second one is that she wandered into the ocean and was carried away by currents. Okay, true, maybe. 
And then two things to come out of that. So if she's, this is the ocean, obviously. She's carried out something to eat her like a shark, so then she would be found. But most of the time, you'd think if a body goes out, it's eventually, like, then thrown up on the shore somewhere. You'd exactly. Think. You would think. So it's not well documented whether or not police search the waters intensely, if at all. However, I do believe it would be extremely hard to do so. And once again, I'm not shooting on police, but I don't know what kind of supports they had for that in the 70s. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if they had the same uh, technology like, as... Yeah, like, I'm sure they would have a boat of some sorts, but yeah, like, they don't have the technology to, like, see, like, under the water, if they would have helicopters, if they would have skidoos and stuff like that. Exactly. See, exactly. Or, not skidoos, sea doos, I should say. <laughs> but um, the, those other things that are, like, newer, that you can get out on the water now quicker to see things, but... Exactly. It's back in the time. Yeah. So some believe that Cheryl perhaps left the shower one back into the water wanting to swim and may have got caught up in the currents and drowned. As I mentioned earlier, it's been documented that the family gathered up their things to leave the beach that day because the weather was turning. Whether that's accurate information that I've read or not. Hypothetically speaking, if the weather did actually turn that day, that could potentially cause a lot more commotion in the water, perhaps more than you know a three or four year old could handle going back into and continue swimming against right yeah because a lot of the weather's turning there's like huge um rapids coming in and big breaks so they probably would 100 percent drown if she went over herself exactly and unfortunately and if you haven't already guessed it or already remembered um there was no body found for cheryl so as far as we know this could still be a potential theory Right. Like I, I do I do see where you're coming from. Like a body would have turned up potentially by now, but there's also the case that depending like on a shark could be eaten like anything well, like a spare game in the ocean. And it's Australia. Like I feel like there's probably underwater spiders that will literally just destroy <laughs> anything. No These giant creatures that are from down under. <laughs> there I have nothing against Australia, but y'all have like the scariest things. <laughs> Like, scarier than humans. And I find humans terrifying. <laughs> Have you seen the size of their spiders? Mainly just spiders for you, yes. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this a little bit when we covered Catherine Knight. You couldn't pay me. You couldn't pay me to... Well, I mean, you could if... Anyways. If the uh, price was right? Okay. <laughs> if the price was right. Uh, so the next theory, and obviously the most heavily believed was that Cheryl was kidnapped and murdered. Okay, so yeah, someone took her eventually and then killed her somewhere, but then never put her body in an obvious spot. Yes, so this theory is obviously the one that seems to be backed by a majority of people who know the case as being more than likely what happened. Sometime in 1971, more than a year after the disappearance, a local identified teenager around the age of 15 to 17 had confessed to abducting and murdering Cheryl. I say the between the age of 15 and 17 because various articles and resources claim that the boy was 15, while others claim 16. I saw one that said 17. So, like, the information is a bit spotty, and we'll get to why it's a bit spotty. Okay. So, this unnamed teenager claimed that the body was buried uh, at a corner of Brokers and Balgani Road. And that he was responsible for the kidnapping and murder of Cheryl Grimmer. Uh, however, the area had recently undergone residential development after the supposed incident. Prior to the construction, though, the teen described the crime scene as having a cattle guard, a tubular steel gate, and a small creek nearby. So, that's that, that was the scene before construction. Okay. 
Police had interviewed the owner of the property after this confession, who noted a lot of contradictory information, such as there not being a cattle guard, which left authorities to overall discredit the teen's confession at the time. So they get this uh, disclosure from the teen. They follow up with it with the mm. owner of the property, and the owner of the property is like, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. Yeah, so which if he can't even, like, can't even properly describe his own like crime scene that he had, then yeah, it seems pretty bogus. It doesn't really make him a valid... Person of interest. Yeah, valid person of interest. Once the case was reopened, though, police went to visit, revisit the teenager claim. Like, they went to... They essentially wanted to, like, refocus on that. Um, Starting with the property where Cheryl was reportedly left. Mm -hmm. Police went to speak with the property owner and ended up speaking to his son, where there was, you know, another twist to the situation. So the property owner's son claimed Mm -hmm. that the cattle guard and tubular gate were certainly in place at the time prior to construction. So going against what his dad had said back in the 70s. And why did his dad lie then? I don't know if his, that's the thing, like, I don't know if his dad lied or if his son's now lying. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know if there's like necessarily lying. Do you know what I mean? Like... I think it's just back on trying to decipher whether someone has the capability of remembering the small details. Mm, that's true. Right? Like, you could ask my mom something that happened so many years ago that I was involved, like, a certain situation or location, she'd be like, yeah, that wall was blue. And then you could ask me, and I could be like, dead ass, no, that wall was purple. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like just two different people's conflicting memories. Yeah, and every perspective is different, right? Or, like, every, you know, yeah, every perspective is different. Mm -hmm. So, like, the dad might have not necessarily recognized that the cattle guard was there. Meanwhile, the son, maybe growing up in that time around that property, remembers playing with whatever the cattle guard was. or something, yeah. Exactly. So, sometime in late 2016, police know that they had three witnesses come forward and recalled that the previously confessed teenager was at the shower area the day that Cheryl went missing, further noting that they felt that police felt that they had a, quote, credible lead with this teenager, who is now an adult. And I'm going to refer to him as the teenager. To we'll get track. To Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Police felt that the teenager would now be a man in his 60s and had put out a public call for the community to try and locate this former teen who had confessed. So I don't know if they just never got the name or if they had the name, but, like, weren't... I don't know what was going on, but essentially they were, they sought out the public. They lost him? I think so. That's kind of the vibe I got. I get it's a few years later, but you would still take like contact information and like an address and like you could backtrack the address at least be like, where they move, who lives there yeah. now? Like, exactly. The fuck? I know. It was the 70s, but it's still not a fucking excuse. Anyways. No, but okay. So on March 23rd, 2017, 47. 47- 47 years after her disappearance, someone had been arrested and charged for the kidnapping and murder of Cheryl Grimmer. It was, in fact, the teenager who had confessed to the kidnapping and murder back in the 70s, now a 63-year-old man. And as you might have guessed it, um, we don't have a name because his identity has essentially been protected because when he originally confessed and i might repeat this later just because it's in my notes but when he originally confessed he was protected under and still is protected under the youth code like the youth criminal code mm-hmm. so it's like file be sealed or something of some sort exactly 
So I did read somewhere that he was apparently from Britain um, and he immigrated to Australia in the late 1960s. I only saw this in one article. Like, I don't even have his date of birth. I don't know what his astrology astrology sign is, so... How rude. I know. It's really fucking rude. Anyway, so the Grimmer family was notified via Interpol, and it seemed like things were really heading towards a resolution. Like, this seemed like the missing piece that this family has been had been waiting for for almost 50 years. Yeah, forever. Like, seriously. Exactly. So we do know some more information about what the teen had confessed, in which I'm going to discuss a little bit further. However, I do want to say, you know, I have a trigger warning um, as it's going to get a little bit intense and there will be discussions around sexual assault of a minor along with physical assault. So if you do not want to listen to that, I suggest you skip ahead approximately like a minute or two. All right. That was your moment. Yep. Warning taken, delivered, sold. So Within the 1971 conversation with police, the teen had disclosed that he was experiencing suicidal and homicidal urges around the time Cheryl went missing. After abducting Cheryl from the beach, supposedly the teen had hit her in a nearby drain for about 35 minutes, gagging her with a handkerchief and tied her hands behind her back with a shoelace whilst they were hiding. After the time had passed, the two emerged from the drain, where the teen then took her by foot to another suburb called Balgonwi, where, according to the prosecutors in court, the teen had disclosed to police his intentions to have sexual intercourse with Cheryl. In the original confession, the teen told police that he took the gig off of Cheryl, in which she obviously began screaming. I'm assuming he panicked and was obviously frightened that someone would hear them, so he begun strangling her and eventually had strangled her to death. The accused noted that after he realized she was dead, he took off her clothing and placed, quote, bushes and dirt over her body before heading back towards the beach. That's so sad. Yeah. This... So he was not far from the... He was, I say, three kilometers or something from the beach? Yeah. He was about three three kilometers away from the beach. And essentially took her back to that uh, that road, the two roads. Also, I apologize to any Australians if I'm butchering these road names. I really don't mean to. Um, yeah. Anyways, could you could you imagine like being the son of that dad who said that like that didn't happen there, and then now that's actually where it happened. So then like all that time that that crime could have been solved because like, he admit like admitted, and then now you just didn't let it happen. Yeah, or being the police officers that had interviewed let him, him as go. a team. Yeah, mm-hmm. or being Cheryl's fucking family thinking you had him and then you let him go. Yep, and finding this Forever. out. Yeah, it's just, it's not a good scene. Either way, you put a put a scope on it, right? The accused was able to confirm specific details regarding the situation, uh, such as the color of Cheryl's bathing suit that she was wearing the day she went missing. You know, not many people really recalled other than her family police, right? And I, I don't know. Is he saying this now, or is he saying that before when he was picked up too? I think he said it before. I'm not sure if he said it again, because... Mm-hmm. The accused defense lawyers argued that their client was extremely mentally unwell at the time of the confession as a teen and that, therefore, it should be inadmissible to court. So all the previous disclosure and everything like that should not go into court and be taken as evidence because he was not well. It would be considered inadmissible because the teen had spoken to police, and this is the fucking kicker, without a parent or lawyer present while considered Who? underage. What police officers are these? They I know. know better. I know. A parent I know. or a lawyer or something. I 
was so livid reading that because I was like, you've got to be, you got to be kidding me. Like if he's admitting to a murder and there's no one in sight, it clearly is not usable. Well, not only that, but like anytime you talk to a minor, like even in my job, I can't talk to people. Like, I mean, I can talk to minors. I don't specifically work with people under the age of 18, but anytime Mm -hmm. there's anyone involved that is under the age of 18 and Ontario, Canada, at least parents have to be, have to provide some form involved. of consent involved, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like there's loophole, legal loopholes around it, but I don't think this applies to this situation. Police just talk to him without having... with knowing that no one was there. That's yeah. piss off. Yeah. Not only that, but apparently this teen had a history of really spotty confessions. For example, he allegedly, apparently, supposedly... Made another confession on a separate date that he killed a prison guard, which was ruled as being false. So he's, I don't know if this is part of, and I'm not trying to shame this individual. Obviously, this person was very unwell and maybe still is. I don't know. This person obviously went through a very, very dark period of their life where they were claiming that they were at fault of many deaths. Which is concerning, but in the same time, like, it's also concerning that, I mean, I, it, it's, it's just a really fucking sticky situation. Like I said. Yeah, like, I he mean, tries to admit something he did do, and then there's these other instances where he's just like, I did this and did it, so it just makes this, like, not credible anymore, but he really exactly. did do something. Yeah. Appearing via video link at the Supreme Court of New, New South Wales on September 7th, 2018, the accused entered a not guilty plea with a trial scheduled to occur sometime in May 2019. In what could be labeled as a devastating move, the judge declared that because a key piece of evidence, i.e. the previous confession, was considered Mm -hmm. inadmissible in the case, therefore would not be able to really carry out without it, the prosecution dropped the charge against the suspect in February of 2019. That's so... Yeah, so essentially... I know. So I think what happened was was that the prosecution realized that they didn't have anything else on this guy. Yeah, like it's been so long. Even then, they didn't like he didn't have the body there or didn't tell them where the body was. So they literally yeah. had nothing on him other than the confession. And then they fucked that up. And that's the thing. I don't know if they look like it's hard to say because because there was construction. I don't know if there was any. I don't think there was anything found. Like based on what I've read, there's nothing that has come up saying like bones or. You know, pieces so of he never said where it was. He just said it was in this area, but then since oh. he since the incident happened, there was construction. Like there was, you know, shit built on top of it. That they probably never had hopefully seen, obviously, while doing that. So then now it's exactly just unknown. So it's there somewhere, but unknown. Potentially, maybe we like it, it's and like I said, it's hard to say because obviously this kid, now adult, was very, very unwell. Allegedly, based on reports. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he was homicidal, he was suicidal, he's claiming he killed a prison guard. Like, I don't want to default him as being credible of his own history because of his mental health, but I'm I'm just concerned that perhaps we need to also question whether or not that statement was credible to even begin with, right? Yeah. Which what is... A, what ifs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think the prosecution essentially realized they couldn't, they didn't have anything further to move forward with trial. So the judge was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to dismiss this. Like, there's nothing and more that her family would be so devastating. I know. <sighs> like her three brothers and her, her extended family friends that she had when she was, you know, like just that little piece of hope that was there. 
Mm-hmm. And just know this is our second time around with the same person that probably did it. And now it's nothing's happening. Exactly. It fucked up twice. Yeah. So some still theorize that the accused was in fact the one that was behind Cheryl's disappearance and her murder. However, it's very hard to decipher whether or not his previous confession was legit, as we've mentioned. Also, whether there was really any other evidence that police had that perhaps either got lost or wasn't considered strong to keep at the time back in the 70s. Like, it's, I don't Mm -hmm. know if they just took it, like, they took and ran with the fact that he came to them and confessed. Like, if they had any other evidence or anything, or if it was literally just based on that, right? Yeah, like, even Brian explained that he, like, I don't know how this works, but, like, they were at the beach, he said he took her... He took her by near, like, little drain hole or whatever for, like, whatever long. Like, that couldn't have been that far away if they did, like, an immediate search. Like, how are they not found kind of thing. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. Like, what I've read is essentially that right off the bat, there was a really intense search. And if he was only, like, three kilometers away from the beach, I'm ass- I'm going to assume wildly, and I could be very wrong, that... No, but didn't that- it say that he, like, took her to, like, a storm drain first and then, then took her away? Yeah. So the storm ring could have would have been even closer, and they still didn't see that. That's true, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Like I don't know specifically the, it, like in one article I mentioned that the weather was turning so that the family left, but I don't know if then it got really stormy. Like I don't know what the weather conditions were. If people maybe didn't look in the storm, there's so mm-hmm. many so many unanswered things. And I will admit, like this case, like I only have like three or four pages because there's not a heck of a lot on it. Um, because yeah. there's so many unknowns, right? Some could also nitpick the policing back in 1970. Uh, it does sound like there was a lot of work done right off the hop in terms of trying to find Cheryl in the moment. However, it doesn't seem like a lot of leads were that they were given were intensely looked at. And not only that, but it's kind of concerning that they still went ahead and spoke to this teenager without a lawyer or parent present, as we've already discussed. Like, that mm-hmm. right there, I, I'm not... Should be police one on one if you're trying to get something. I know, and I know we. I will say, like you and I, I feel like we're we're pretty hard on police in terms of like previous cases we've covered, like Robert Picton or Sam Little or. But I feel like in those instances, like it's like the police just like fuck up so bad. They're just so yeah. completely oblivious, and you're like, "What are you doing?" I know, and you know, I don't know what the policing situation was in New South Wales. We're not here to say. Mm-hmm say more but it's just concerning it's it, that and that i think that's just an overall feeling it's just concerning that you know that something as small as making sure a legal guardian was there when they were talking blows up the whole case and it's it just blows, like hey, we're done. exactly like could you imagine where we would be we might not even be having this discussion about Cheryl grimmer if they would have just got a parent Taking him the or, first time yeah mm-hmm so, in an article by the Alara Mercury, Inspector Ainsworth noted that he felt that the, that the original police investigation wasn't necessarily inadequate, but to consider the fact that when the search began, there were a lot of people that spoke that had spoken out regarding the disappearance, specifically around like 300 people. And there was a lot of people involved in the search. So, I think there were... In, how do I put it? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> Well, if you remember the eyewitness testimonies that first came out, like, oh, there was a man that, like, lifted her up to a water fountain so that she could have a drink. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, that was her brother, Rick. There was yes. other people that were like, oh, she went in a car, like a white car. But then, like, there was a lot of eyewitness testimony that came out that led to nowhere, right? 
that were dead yeah, like, end. None of those are actually depicting what actually happened. And once again, it was the 1970s. There wasn't as many technological supports that could help wean through these things probably quicker, as quick as what we have in 2021, right? Yeah, it's like thinking back in the 1970s, there's probably like one cop on there and they're trying to like prove their point or prove their case and everyone's like not helping them because they're like, that's your that's your case, blah, blah, blah. Like we're all trying to deal with our own plate of stuff. So it's probably hard to get any cooperation or have any team of some sorts. And not only that too, but like, I don't know a lot about New South Wales. I'm not going to sit here and be, you know, uh, saying that I know everything. So I don't know what the police size was at that time too, right? Like... I think New South Wales now is a really big place, but at the time... Probably not as up-and-coming as tourists as it could have been now than it is compared to then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, regardless, some still suspect that some form of foul play took place on that fateful January 12th beach day, and unfortunately her living family members now have to live with the constant unknown of what has happened to Cheryl. Now, since or after the charges were dropped uh, by the teen, State Attorney General Mark Speakman uh, noted to the press that it was probably the end of the road regarding the prosecution for the disappearance and murder of Cheryl. He further was quoted saying, and this is a direct quote, they have searched for justice for Cheryl for almost 50 years, but unfortunately I cannot help them in that search for justice. To this day, we still don't know what happened to Cheryl and don't know if there was any foul play or accidental happenings that came out of that fateful January 12, 1970 beach trip. Sometime in 2008, there was a woman that had come forward thinking that maybe she was Cheryl. Like, I don't know if maybe she was adopted. She didn't know her history, what have you. Um, Mm. However, she submitted a DNA test and it was ruled out. She wasn't Cheryl. Because that's another thing too. Like, going back to one of the theories, I think it was the first or second, like if she was kidnapped by someone raised by a different family, for all we know, she could still be out there and alive, but just not realizing that who she, she... is is who she is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would be, uh, you hear stories of like people getting taken so long, so, so young that they have just like some serious Stockholm syndrome from being like completely switched to what their life is and what it is now. Exactly. The New South Wales government has published on their website that they have increased the war to $1 million for any information into the abduction and potential murder of Cheryl. Uh, for those that are listening and feel that they may have valid information to provide to police, you can connect with Crime Stoppers or the New South Wales Police Department. And that is the disappearance of Cheryl Jean Grimmer. That's sad. Yeah. That's how it all that, played out. Sad. I know. So, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. brought the mood down i know we were talking about like providing a distraction for people in lockdown and how <laughs> mental health is really bad and i just fucking killed the mood with every inch of my being so sorry so that to you sadness on a platter there you go yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those cases that once you once you read it it's like you can't help but want to talk about it because i know we are a small indie podcast we only have so many listeners so many followers what have you but i think these disappearance cases need to be discussed more because hopefully someone out there knows something mm-hmm. there's not one person listening that knows something you're just like okay i can i've heard this story or i saw this person or i heard about this blah 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 blah, blah. exactly uh so my resources for this case include the illawarra mercury article by sydney 
Murden. The Sydney Morning Herald, published in May of 1973. Uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, again, uh, by Sarah McPhee. That article was published July 27th, 2017. A BBC News article posted February 15th, 2019. A Bristol Live article by Alexander Brock. And the NSW, aka New South Wales, government website, The Disappearance of Cheryl Grimmer. So, Christy, do you want to tell these fine people where they can listen, find us, do whatever they want to do? All that good stuff that you usually tell our fine listeners? Yes, here's all of our goodies. (laughs) You can find us on our uh, different platforms. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Love some reviews. But again, just go on to any platform you listen to podcasts on. You can probably find us. Give it a listen. Um, you can email us any suggestions, any topics you want, anything in general to our Weird Distractions uh, podcast at outlook.com. You can tweet us on Twitter at WeirdDistractI1. And you can hit us up on our Insta page at Weird Distractions Pod. And do not forget, we are now also on Redbubble. So feel free to go on there and get some merch if you want to support us. Get any logo pretty much on anything you possibly want. Yes. And I will say I love Redbubble because every time you make a purchase, they send one of their own free stickers. So it's kind of like you're getting a free gift when buying a gift for yourself or a loved one. So that's kind of cool. It's pretty neat. Anyways, let's wrap this bad boy up, shall we? Um, Thanks for listening. Sorry for bombing everybody out. (laughs) But once again, hey, just a reminder, if you think you know anything, if you have any valid information about Cheryl Grimmer, Call the Australian or New South Wales Crime Stoppers and the New South Wales Police Department because someone knows something. Don't keep that information to yourself. It could it could end a really, really tragic, long-awaited uh, closure. Closure, yes. Oh, great minds think alike. Great minds do think alike. Speaking of which, if you need a distraction... We got you. Bye. Bye. Murder She Spoke is a true crime podcast hosted by me, Joanna Shanks. And me, Emma Taylor. Each week we bring you a new case with a particular focus on crimes committed in Scotland, chosen by us or suggested by our listeners. The cases we cover typically involve violent assaults and murder, and listener discretion is advised. We discuss each case in detail, looking at the psychological and legal elements, and end each episode on a light note. Listen to us today on your podcast platform of choice, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts.